0: talking time with lucas and alicia is excited to announce our proud sponsors code sydney um, lucas tell us a little bit about code sydney code sydney is a web and online uh, marketing tool group that's put together uh, websites and social media platforms for charity organizations and not for profits. They give the opportunity for um, brand new developers to develop their skills while helping the community do what they do. How do people get in contact with our new sponsor Code Sydney? Yeah, so you can check out Code Sydney on www.code.sydney.
1: Have a look at everything they do, um, including the support for -for non-for-profit organisations and their mentorship through that as well.
0: Hey, don't forget they did our website, which is www.talkingtimepodcast.com.au check it out. And if uh, you need some help with your website as a not-for-profit or group out there, reach out to Code Sydney. Thanks for your supporting Talking Time with Lucas and Alicia. Uh, Welcome back. It's Talking Time with Lucas and Alicia. Hey, Knucklehead, how you doing? (laughs)
1: not bad for a sunny sunday how are you going lucas
0: my good day it's been a good funny good i can't even speak a good it's as if i've had a bourbon and i haven't it's a it's a it's a sunny one and it's been hey it was a good day for a winter's day or an autumn day here it was pretty cool how about your how about your crew over there
1: Yeah, just beautiful.
0: Hey, that's mate. Clearly not looking much
1: better than this. (laughs)
0: Clearly not looking into a mirror. Hey, um, I was waiting for it. There it is, mate. Now, you know, right? Hey, uh, we're going to get straight into this. Now, you know, I am a person who advocates strongly for strong females and female involvement. Anything my PhD was in it, you know, my involvement in women's sport forever. And I love when strong, powerful, empowered women, such as yourself, Alicia, tick it off. I did give you a compliment.
1: Um, hang on I just got to document this date as well
0: write it down um (laughs) when when strong powerful independent women who uh who who bob up for us to talk to because not only does it make me smile but it also um it also brings um an additional difference to this whole discussion about talking time and tonight's uh tonight's guest is a Legendary Victorian lady, uh, Jen Nichols, who is doing some work at Fed Uni at the moment over East. But Jen comes to us. Uh, sorry for the time difference, Jen, but uh, it's gonna be good to talk to you and welcome to Talking Time with Lucas and Alicia. How you doing, mate?
1: Hey, Jen. I'm good. Hi. It's so fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Mate, it's been too long. We were gonna have you on much earlier and then with technology tech technologically, I can't even talk technology. <laughs> And, and other other challenges I don't blame it on technology. Hey, all the issues with Lucas. Um, you know. All right, I know. Hey, we won't even, Jen, we won't even talk about how we've been waiting 10 minutes for alicia to get her microphone to work. We won't <laughs> we won't tell everyone publicly. Hey Jen, we have a thing on this show, mate. We don't talk about we don't talk about people's uh lived experience in there unless they want to tell us. They own their own story on this uh program, and we're big on that because in previously incarcerated people get their narrative taken away from them so much, so we let people yeah. tell their own story. So let let us know about Jen. Who is Jen Nichols, and why is Jen Nichols doing amazing things? Wow,
1: well, Jen Nichols. Hmm, she's a lady who, through a lot of different reasons, um, no excuses. Landed herself in prison in Victoria back in 2013. I was sentenced to uh, 12 months incarceration with a four month non-parole period. Spent a couple of weeks at Dame Phyllis Frost Centre, which is the maximum security facility in Victoria for women, where all women, regardless of um, whether they're on remand or sentenced, they all enter the prison system through Dame Phyllis. And then I spent the rest of my four months up at Tarangawa, which is a minimum security prison. Um, and they're the only two prisons in Victoria for women. Um, and like I said, there was a lot of reasons why I ended up in there. Um, but that the experiences I had in there have turned my life around. And I could honestly say that without having that incarceration experience, I wouldn't be where I am today.
0: Hey, hats off to you mate for for being able to turn lemons into lemonade. Can, can, can you give us a little bit now, now give us a little bit of an idea, right? Because clearly, clearly um, you go from max security to minimum security in a flash and you would have picked up some amazing, amazingly different experiences. And can you tell us about how those experiences have turned you and made you into the person that you are today?
1: Absolutely. Um- when I first went into Dame Phyllis, I was on a lot of uh, medications for some medical issues that included antidepressants. So, obviously, there were some uh, mental health issues um, at play there. Uh, diabetes, blood pressure, da-da-da-da-da-da. And without warning, I was taken off all of my medications at Dame Phyllis. Wow. And... This went on for like the 11, because I oh, was there about 11 days, I think it was. So it wasn't quite two weeks. Um, and it took a good nine days for me to get one medication back.
0: Jesus. So
1: and that's life-threatening.
0: That's life-threatening. Life it stuff. was.
1: It was. And I was beginning to feel seriously unwell by that point. And every day I kept going up to the medical unit saying, you know, oh, has the doctor prescribed my meds yet? And I, only to be told each and every day I come back tomorrow, there's mm. nothing here. And ordinarily um, I'm a person who doesn't like confrontation at all. So where there's an opportunity for me to walk away, I walk away. And that's what I did in prison. And I was thinking about it and I thought, well, why didn't I say something? Because my life was at risk. But it was because I had the mindset at the time that I had done the wrong thing. And so this was my punishment and I had no rights to insist on getting my medications. And it wasn't until I started my university studies in 2014 and, um, you know, about 18 months into that, that I realised that as a prisoner, I still had some human rights. And particularly a right to um, adequate health care. But I didn't know that at the time. And so I just took it on board, you know, don't cause any trouble. This is your fault. This is what you deserve. Now I did not deserve that. Um, yes, I deserve to be in prison. Absolutely. There's no question about that. But I did have a right to adequate health care and, and to, you know, take my medications off and to not even explain to me why they took me off them. Wow. um, I just find absolutely abhorrent. Hey, when you know, did... the more I think about it now. Oh,
0: that's amazing. Hey, when when and sorry to cut you off, it's something that just jumped out, you said it, because it's a similar feeling with a lot of the people we speak to. That 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 beating yourself up thing about um, you know, not deserving, not deserving. I still have visits of that now in my head. Do you do you have that yep. at all yourself?
1: Yep, absolutely. Um, particularly um, now, um, as you know, I'm doing a PhD.
0: Well, we're going to hear about that in a minute. We're so excited. I want to hear all about that in a minute, (laughs)
1: mate. Yeah. um, I'm just finding that, you know, I'm reflecting when I'm reading the interview transcripts and I'm thinking, yeah, I can see that even the women I'm interviewing still have that same attitude. You know, it's that self-stigma that we put upon ourselves. And that largely stems from the stigma that criminalised women and men experience in society. So it's... it just, we, we adopt that stigma and it really impacts our ability to make good choices and to stand up for ourselves. So true. That's how I see it.
0: So true. I I, I know this is, I've, we've mentioned this previously. I've had this the same discussion previously with a lot of guys about the type of jobs they take once they come home. And mm-hmm. I, know, I know myself is the first couple of jobs I had when I got back from, um, from being away um, were, uh, were, were jobs. And they were honest jobs, don't get me wrong. They were jobs that were paying the bills, but they were jobs that, you know, someone with a, a doctorate, you know, th- three master's degrees and a bachelor's degree um it doesn't match and i in, in my head i was beating myself up saying well you screwed up you deserve it you went to jail you deserve it this is your punishment mm. ongoing consistently forever and um, it was just interesting to hear that sorry to jump off on a tangent and, and hear it no you're right um all right so interest huge interest in in women's health purely and simply because of the way you were mistreated in the way that you've seen others mistreated so what's it steered mm. you into you mentioned a phd study tell us about it and give us the full rundown about what it's about mate.
1: Oh, okay, well, my oh, what was she say? entry into academia began at Tarangawa Prison and I wanted to enrol in some classes because I had arthritis and stuff and I couldn't do a lot of uh, heavy work at the prison. So they said, oh, I'll do some education. Well, of course, the education lady said, oh, no, you're too qualified for this. You're too qualified for that. No, you can't do that. You're not here long enough to do that. I'm like okay well give me something to do. So they ended up enrolling me in a certificate two in adult education and I thought oh, yeah, you know this is this is all right just fill in the time and the teacher who took that class was an absolutely amazing person. She showed genuine empathy for us as women and she treated us with respect and we used to have a lot of laughs and, you know, she'd do general um, spelling tests and she'd make us write essays and, and things like that. And the day I found out that I had received my parole, that I was going to be out, I burst into tears from happiness. Yay. And she, she came up and gave me a hug. And so I did a couple more classes. And as I was leaving, she turned around to me and said, if you do not go on to university when you leave here, I'm going to be very upset with you. Oh, wow. And I said, don't be ridiculous. Don't be, you know, that's just, yeah, let's not even go there. It was just so beyond any thoughts that I had about what I was going to do. My main concern was getting home. Yep. You know, I hadn't considered what I was going to do when I got home. But that's what she said stuck in my head. And then I got out, I think it was the 2nd of March 2014, I got out. And I was sitting at home thinking, well, I'm not going to get a job. I've got a criminal record now. Well, And, you know, the self-stigma, you know, just yep. your whoa, own fault. Whoa so me. I, <laughs> yep. And then I thought, well, maybe I should look at this education thing. So... I looked at the um, FedUni website and I found a um, Bachelor of Humanities and Social Sciences. And I thought, oh, yeah, I'll, you know, put in an application they will probably reject me, you know. But I was very upfront and honest, (laughs) you know, that stigma, you know, people are just going to reject me. Anyway, so I was very open and honest in my application and said, look, I've just come out of prison, I need something to do, you know. Anyway, they accepted me and I thought, oh, okay. And that's what started my university career. And so I did these four subjects that were, you know, just introductory subjects and I did an elective in criminal justice and I did really well in it and I started thinking, oh, 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 I wonder if I could do a Bachelor of Criminal Justice. No, 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 I can't. Don't be ridiculous, you know. I went and spoke to the coordinator of the court and she goes, well, why can't you? And I said, all right, we'll swap me over. Once I swapped over to the Bachelor of Criminal Justice, that was it. There was no looking back. Well, wow. I, I completed my bachelor uh, degree with distinction.
0: Oh, Congratulations. Uh,
1: thank you. Went on to do my honours degree, got first class honours for my coursework and my thesis. Which was sometimes I think what have I done decision to do my PhD, which is, on women's experiences of healthcare pre during and post incarceration in Victoria. Wow. And do they reflect through care principles and human rights frameworks?
0: Wow. Um, and yeah, way to just start, way to just pick a nice light sort of fluffy topic to deal with huh?
1: I know. And i, I I'm like, I'm working on my chapters now and I'm thinking, Oh, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: it's wow. huge.
1: It's huge. Now you... But yeah. So that's been my journey what sort of,
0: okay, so what, so uh, I've got to ask you some, you know, structural questions on this because clearly there's, we have a lot of, we have a lot of really interested and diverse listeners from across eight different countries, funnily enough. And um, how do you go about getting access to do that? So how does someone with a criminal record that's been inside herself, how do you then get access to go back into jails or to speak to previously incarcerated or currently incarcerated people? Who, what sort of parties and what sort of groups do you have to get involved in that? Obviously, you've had to get, you know, need to support you, and then you've had to get others to support you. How the hell have you done that, woman?
1: Okay. Well, first of all, was designing my project. And we had to give consideration to how we could access a cohort of women who are traditionally and historically a difficult-to-reach cohort. Yep not only because um, if they're in prison you have to go through Corrections Victoria to be able to get into the prison to interview the women, but also because a lot of criminalised women are very reluctant to talk about their stories. And I totally get that because sometimes they've had really traumatic experiences within the prison system and they don't want to relive those experiences. So that sort of um, inhibits the Uh, number of women who were willing to participate in research so we made a decision that to try and um, because it was focused on pre-during and post-release we needed to speak to women who were in the community who had experienced all those three transitional phases gotcha and so we decided to do a two-stage recruitment process Stage one um, involved recruiting women who had been released from either Dame Phyllis or Tarangawa from 2014 onwards. Um, that fit in with the timeframe from when I was released. Um, and to add some richness to the data and to add another layer, we also decided to uh, recruit post-release support workers who have had experience working with women Uh, coming out of the prison system and by doing that um, and interviewing women who weren't currently on parole we avoided the need to go to Corrections Victoria and the Department of Justice and but we had a plan B because we knew that we were going to have trouble recruiting women irrespective of whether they were on parole or not. Absolutely. So as plan B we decided that um, we would have stage two where we would try to apply to Corrections Victoria and the Department of Justice for ethics approval to interview women who were currently on parole. And that happens because women on parole are still under the care and control of Corrections Victoria. So you can't just go and interview them without approval. Anyway, so we um, disseminated, we got ethics approval from Federation Uni with the two-stage process. And we opened up recruitment and it was very slow due to COVID and all that sort of stuff. Um, And I managed to interview a few women and a few post-release support workers, which has been really fantastic. They were so giving of their time and some of the stuff they had to say was so valuable and insightful, which was really good for me and pointed out things that I hadn't experienced myself as well, which was really good. Um, but then recruitment really slowed down and so we made the decision that we were going to try and get ethics approval for stage two, which um, after about six months of toing and froing between the departments and my supervisor and myself, got full ethics approval to interview women on parole, which meant that um, I could uh, disseminate information about that. Recruitment from that stage has still been very slow. Um, and we're looking at closing recruitment at the end of May, so I've got time to write up all my things. But at the moment, I've interviewed 11 people, including post-release support workers and uh, post-release women, and the big thing um, that's not common uh, in PhDs is that I'm actually incorporating my story into the thesis. So... Very out there, putting my story out there as well. Um, There is no hiding from my story. Um, People are going to know it was me and that, yes, I did this and that I have spent time in prison. But I'm really of the opinion that I could not um, ask the women to share their personal experiences with me if I wasn't willing to share my own. And so that that was a big driver behind the decision to include my story in the, in the thesis. So all up at the moment, I've got 12 uh, participants, including myself. Um, adopting a critical feminist approach to yep. the research, which is a little bit out of my depth, um, but I'm learning very quickly that despite my previous contentions that I wasn't a feminist, I think I am. <laughs> <laughs> And I've I've learned a lot and the benefit of using a critical feminist approach to this research is that it can help uncover covert operations of power within institutions and policies and documents and things and how they can impact and influence women's experiences within those institutions. And I had a little bit of trouble. um, I don't know if you know a lot about epistemology
0: I do a little um, bit. That was I do, yeah, a little bit.
1: Yeah, had a little bit of tension between the subjective narratives of the women. Yep, and my wanting to explore human rights and through care principles, which is a more positivist approach.
0: Sorry, I'm smiling, mate, because we've had well, I've had a similar a similar discussion recently. So I'll yeah. shut up, but I'm smiling.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but um, I've managed to resolve that by in my methodology section. Um, using a feminist pragmatic approach to the methodology um, underpinned obviously by qualitative narrative inquiry which again is being also underpinned by a feminist standpoint and more importantly by my insider researcher positionality.
0: Okay and that's the interesting bit. The last bit you mentioned and it's we 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 it's we talk about this all the time on this show about insider perspective and about how Mm -hmm. as an insider researcher or an insider and it goes back to what you said at the start i don't ever feel comfortable about asking someone about what they've done or where they've been and i i tell my story that's why we do what we do because we try and allow this as a voice for for others for people such Mm -hmm. as yourself for anyone we have um, you know, high-end researchers we have first year researchers we have people that have been inside that are now running businesses you know the guy that uh, a guy that we're, we're interviewing uh, in the next few weeks is a is a Dj that uses music um, and helps um, you know people write songs to talk about their experiences wow. so for us yeah. it is it is super diverse but the one common thing is if you've seen it you get it And that's, you know, that's something that is really important and I love it. So, hey, um, i got to ask you a couple of questions, just education wise. So one one thing that we have, we have a lot of mums and we have a lot of dads that listen to this show whose Mm -hmm. kids are either or kids or adult kids are in jail now or are coming home or have come home. And we're big advocates, as I know you are, big advocates for education. You've obviously told us about your education story about how that toe in the door of education has now pushed you through to to do what you're doing. What other roles do you fill at, at, at Fed Uni? You're obviously a student yourself. Are you actually teaching? Are you yes. educating? What do you do?
1: Yeah, um, I was invited to um, tutor one of the criminal justice classes last year, um, which was very overwhelming and An eye opening experience, I must say. But it got me thinking that if they trust me enough to teach, you know, teach into the course with first year students we're talking about here, then maybe this could be a path for me in the future once I've finished my PhD. And they invited me back to um, tutor into um, another course this semester, and I'm also um, course coordinating. Um, the subject as well so that's i just it it overwhelms me but it gives me faith in society that you know second chances give people second chances and you don't you know it's amazing what people can achieve if they just get that second chance
0: i love it i absolutely love it mate and 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 just think this that the lady that was in um tarangawa was in and was given the opportunity to do a cert to in adult education is now teaching the future criminologists and the f- future people that are affecting policy and procedure in the world is, mate, this, mm. th- you, you're obviously aware of convict criminology and the way convict criminology rolls. And this is how yep. it works, is there ain't too many of us, mate. There really ain't too many of us here no. in Australia that are doing what we do.
1: Mm. I, I um, am talking a little bit about convict criminology in my thesis, just as... Um, how it's um, an aspect of insider research that um, addresses uh, issues in mainstream criminology that is predominantly done from an objective point of view from people who don't have firsthand experience like of it. incarceration. Um, so I've really embraced that. And I have noticed there's not a lot of women convict criminologists. No. And um, I know that convict criminology has actually been criticized for that. But there's a lot of aspects of convict criminology that align with feminist research.
0: Yeah, there is, true.
1: And so I'm adopting that into my thesis as well. True. And uh, one of the main reasons that I see um, for women not being convict criminologists is because sometimes we're so ashamed of what we've done and that ongoing fear of rejection means that we're not willing to talk about our stories. So true and obviously i've overcome that to to a great degree because i'm willing to i talk about my story willy-nilly now to just about everybody who asks
0: mm-hmm.
1: um but yeah so i'd like to see a real shift in convict criminology to embrace more women and to encourage more women to engage in this insider research
0: hey, here's an invite to you mate here's here's a thought now we've been we've we've spoken a couple of times about potentially what we can do together i think we mm. just i think we just nailed it I think there's a paper right there about exactly that, about incorporating more females in convict criminology around the world, and especially in Australia. I reckon, mm. I, I reckon we've just hit it. I reckon we just found it. And you can tell me if you yeah. want to do it before before your PhD's finished, after your PhD's finished, or during. And mate, we can uh, we can do something together. I think that would be fantastic.
1: That'd be awesome. Probably gonna have to wait until after the PhD though, because I'm <laughs> in my
0: last.
1: No, I'm in my last six months now. Hey. So, you're
0: getting, you know, you getting used to the doctor yet, Doctor Jen Nichols. Are you getting ready here and that. No, I
1: haven't even entertained that yet. It's like, I just want to get to the finish line, <laughs>
0: mate.
1: And look, it hasn't been easy. No. It has not been an easy journey, but I look at what I'm achieving, and it's like, I've surprised myself. You know, I never knew that I was capable of doing this. And if it hadn't been for that one teacher in the prison who encouraged me and put that little idea in my head, who knows where I'd be today?
0: Mm. It's powerful, huh?
1: You know, it's...
0: One opportunity, one... All right, so give us a call out. If you've got, what is the demographic of people you're looking for um, to interview? Just so that if anyone is listening to this and they know someone or they fit that demographic that they can contact us, uh, we'll put your um, contact flyer, your recruitment flyer up on our social media when we pres- when this thing goes to air. But if, oh, these, yep. if if people know that that's them, how can they get in contact with you and what are you looking for?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I'm looking for women who've been released from either Jane Phyllis or Tarangawa prisons from 2014 onwards. Uh, recruitment is now open to women who are currently on parole or not on parole. Um, but they can't be on community corrections orders because I don't have approval to interview those types of women. And they just have to be over the age of 18. Okay. So it's very, very few, you know, exclusionary criteria. And also any um, people who have worked with um, post-release women, uh, you know, who have knowledge of the experiences of women coming out of the prison system, uh, so post-release support workers, again, just have to be over the 18 and just have had some experience working with post-release women.
0: Excellent, mate. Well, that's the call-out. The call-outs there, get on and, and help Jen.
1: Oh, strictly Victoria too.
0: Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, mate. It's, it's, it's great to see you know someone that's experienced that coming out now and effectively changing or attempting to change policy and procedure for others in the future. And mm. um, we talk about this in here about different people finding their voice in different ways. Um, you know, whether it be something like this show, whether it be something like, you know, further study, further research, um, you know, reintegration puzzle, you know, any um, after prisons network, all these types of things. But what you're doing, mate, is amazing. I thank you so much for for coming on and having a chat to us today. Clearly, Alicia has dropped thank off her, her computer, or internet must have died. Um, but you're inspirational, mate, and, and not only to previously incarcerated people, but um, and, and to, to, to females as well, and also to people that just value education and see that there's a journey if they put forward. So mm-hmm. hand on heart, hand on heart. Thank you for what you're doing, mate. It's going to change lives.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for, for having me on the show.
0: Mate, and you know what, though? I want you to come back on. Do me a promise. When you are Dr. Jen Nichols, we want to introduce you on here and uh, make a big deal of it, and we introduce you as Dr. Jen Nichols, and you come on, and you then you can tell us your findings. You can tell us what you found. I can. That'd be awesome. What we can talk about. Awesome. Jen, thank you so much, mate. It's been awesome having you, and this has been – Talking time with Lucas and Alicia. Well, today it's been Lucas, so let's be honest, it's probably been one of the better episodes. Um, but um, <laughs> no, I'm joking, Leash, we do this. Um, but no, we will see you next Sunday. And thank you guys very much. We'll see you then. <laughs>